Pilly found some space, took the mark, loaded up. Oh, the bottom strikes early. Garcia marks, plays on. Can he finish? Bailey Smith, the dogs have got all the flow. This will bring the house down. If Bailey Smith knows it and lets the crowd know. And balls to English on the run. The Ruckman, a long ball, a glorious ball. Slid the handball in to Lork and straighten onto his right. He's got time, he's got space, and he's kicked up beauty. Now Jamari Gilhagen kicks it wrong. It's a got and what a carry. That's something extraordinary. It's five for the night and the dogs are home. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that is so seeped. Let me start again. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog. The podcast that is so sleep deprived due to the fact that it can't make up its mind between committing to the footy or committing to the ashes. My name is Matthew Donald, your regular host of the Salty Bulldog. And as I welcome Nick Galea to the podcast, as I do every week, I think, Nick, you put it best yesterday when we sat down after the game and you said, bank the points, burn the tapes. It was one of those performances yesterday where the dogs absolutely needed to get the win, did get the win. But the manner in which they did so was not as convincing as we'd hoped. I think it's a good time for the Bulldogs to head into the bye, given the events of the last month, with a number of frustrating performances. But heading into it on a positive note with a win, having put some separation between us and the chasing pack outside the top eight, and maintaining a reasonable gap between us and the top four. Welcome, Nick. It's good to have you on board again. Hello, Matt. Hello to everyone out there. Yes, that is a, another fine summarisation. And yes, we will definitely be burning all the tapes of yesterday's game. It's a... Uh, we'll probably... How many tapes do you reckon were burnt over the last half a dozen years, I reckon? I think we've got a full-on full, full on shop in that side of things. But um, yes, no, look, four points are important. Keeps us in touch. But there's still obviously a lot more work to be done with, within the respective, uh, not only style of play, but um, hopefully getting some key personnel back in the in the coming weeks, which are quite quintessential to the to the game plan that well to the game plan that we assume we want to participate in. So, yeah, look, considering people will be a little bit uh, disappointed with yesterday's results, and at times I think I was too, but I reckon you and I, Matt, um, we say a couple of things, you know, during the game and after the match, and then. You know, give it a, a day or two later. Um, we sort of reassess a little bit and, and see how we go. Um, I think considering the form that North have showed over the last, say, half a dozen weeks, well, they really probably arguably could have had at least three wins in that uh, in that patch. You know, really should have beaten the Swans, really probably could have and should have beaten the Bombers as well there, pushed yeah. the uh, the Magpies and that side of things too. Um, yeah, this. It's it could have been a better win, and it's not one of those things where you know people would say, "Oh, we should be you know belting this mob by ten or so goals," because we haven't got that particular personnel that says we should anymore, and the ruse aren't exactly a, a basket case as they were a couple of years ago. So you've got to uh, you know split somewhere in the middle between you know, those margins, and uh, you know, three goals maybe is probably a little bit below par, but so uh, we would have been more hoping for closer to five, I think, wouldn't we? I think so. Um, look, I, I think you make a good point with North not necessarily being the, the basket case that they were maybe last year or the, or the year before, certainly previous Good Friday encounters when we played them. They picked up a couple of wins and, you know, with a with a little bit of luck, they might have picked up a couple more wins along the way as well. You mentioned Essendon and Sydney. They got very close in both of those games. 
And they were very competitive against us for, for large portions of it as well. I get what you're saying. They just about, ran, out of, ran out of juice. Yeah, I get. I get what you're saying about the the idea of, of wanting to win by more. We might touch on that a little later on in the program. But before we do all that, let's get the let's get the raw data out of the way as we like to every week. So the final scores: fifteen, fifteen, one hundred five to thirteen six eighty four. I'll touch on the scoring in in, in just a little bit. Uh, but Cody Waitman was clearly the star of the game up forward line. The first time all year I've been able to say this, but uh, we've got a six-goal haul. Waitman kicking six goals. It was wonderful to see in game 50. said to you, he should have a milestone match every week. He might do that a little more often. Indeed. Uh, I think he should play the Kangaroos every week. That would be the Coleman then, wouldn't he? That that would be nice. Bonson Pelly ties, I reckon, for best on ground honours with Waitman. He kicked three. Norton with two. We'll talk about him a lot this episode. Daniel, Lobb, Trelaw and English also hitting the scoreboard. Trelaw with 34 disposals. Bontepelli, that man again, 32. Dale, 28. Liberatore, 26. English with 24. Daniel and McRae with 22 touches each. In terms of the coaches' votes, which have come out, Bontempelli and Waitman each picked up nine, so a 5-4 split there. Liberatore and Trelaw with three. And English with three as well. And Taron Thomas and Harry Sheezel picking up a couple of uh, votes for the Kangaroos. Pretty much it that comes out of the, the game. If if you were a coach, who would you have given five to, and who would you have given four to between Waitman and Bontempelli? We were sort of talking a bit about this last night. Yes, and it's a good question too, Matt, because you know obviously the two coaches have uh, got very similar yet uh, varying opinions of the uh, particular match winners of the of the of the game itself last night. And look, if I was uh, the coach on the night um, for the victorious team, I would have probably I probably would have given the votes to. Waitman as he was at the difference. If I was the um, the side who's sorry, if I was the coach of the team whose side had fallen short, I probably still would have actually given the votes to Waitman. So the question is, who do I suspect's done the done the deed there? I probably think Beveridge might have given actually the five to to Cody. To be honest, considering the the shuffle for the forward line with Norton going down back for yeah. uh, for the better part of a half, maybe a bit more than that too. So. Because um, it's interesting to see, you know, considering we've got different personnel, you know, each of our forwards, like Jamara, like Lobb, well, Norton up until halftime and Waitman and a couple of others, they each possess different forward cra- uh, forward traits. But what is interesting is that after Norton, who's always the next uh, deepest option? It's always Waitman. And he's the shortest bloke of the lot. So it's a bit strange. You know, you uh, he's got elements of... um. He's got elements of Toby Green to him, not only in the free kick sense, but in, in, in playing-wise and board craft. You've mentioned the name Nathan Brown before, which I think is actually coming more and more evident, to be honest. I think it's a great call from yourself a couple of years ago, bringing that, uh, bringing that particular no, uh, no, name no, up this, there. This disclaimer, that was, that was my dad. I, I read later. Oh, it was your dad? Oh, that was, well, not very cool. That was my, we should bring him on for an episode if we want to talk about Wayman. We should have brought him on this week. No, my, da- my dad said Nathan Brown after the debut. In, it's a pretty good call, so to of, be honest. Seriously, he's, he's maybe my dad should have taken up scouting. Maybe <laughs> no, genuinely, because the way that Waitman plays his football is, of course, as that undersized forward, undersized you know, to an extent, like a full forward, where he is utilised as a marking target, much like you know as Brad Johnson was, and it's a different level of like a of a dangerous, not mosquito fleet, but who's had a very Who's had a very dangerous medium-sized forward line? Like we had a very, very good medium-sized forward line in the late 2000s. Um, 
Even in the mid two thousands, we had Johnson and Robbins, and then it became mm. Johnson and Ackermanus and and Murphy, and then, you could have, and then Hahn yep. as mm. well. But yeah, I, I, I and and I, yeah, I suppose yeah, there weren't really many talls in the forward line throughout not for the us entire anyways. decade, and even. Yeah, not just even for, for us too, but like even the Cats as well, for that great side, their only genuine tool was Cam Mooney for most of it until they decided to bring in Hawkins. But, you know, they still had a number of, you know, crafty and uh, medium-sized players like Johnson and Chapman and and the like to those extents. Now, imagine Stokes. if Ta- and Stokes was a very, very good footballer too. He gets forgotten about actually just as I did then. But um, imagine if you can start mentioning Waitman amongst those names. It'd be that incredible. Would, that would but, be handy, yeah. That would be very handy. Well, the first fifty games for his career have been have been have been very very fun to watch. You know, he thirty six goals last year. Um, what's he on now? Nineteen at the moment. So he's kicked what eighty four goals in fifty games. So you know, take that for a pick fifteen. I tell you, especially when uh, you know the way that our forward line works uh, to an extent. I think it's, a, it's I think it's a very fair effort to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think he's been very good, and we sort of. We sort of had a bit of a callback, didn't we, to that first game of his? With I think it might have been his fifth goal from the boundary line, the right foot banana. Yeah, that was a was, yeah his fifth goal. That's right. He kicked only one in the final quarter. Probably should have kicked that uh, seventh one. Though. I don't know. He didn't make the distance, did he? Just fell, just <laughs> yeah, fell short. Fifth, yeah, just fell short. Hmm. But yeah, that fifth goal definitely brought back memories, didn't it? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. So yeah, eighty-four goals in in fifty games. I tell you what, we've made a lot of comparisons with Waitman and other forwards. I, I think after that mark he took in the third term, I called him our modern day Merv Hobbs. Um, with, but my dad's he compared, did too. My dad's compared him to to Nathan Brown, of course. And yep, I'm mentioning I'm mentioning Toby Green. Who else? I'm, I wonder Green. who else. So we just got to keep said, going you, with these uh these big name forwards, don't we? You said you said sort of undersized full forward or or midsized full forward, deep forward, and I I immediately thought Matthew mm. Robbins as well. Man, he was a very different, good player. For us. Diff, very different mm. types of of player, but similar the go-to sort of positions. Yeah, and ve- both very good set shots as well. Actually, indeed. Uh, now, Nick, we we we've we've got it. We've given Waitman his his due. He was he was very good. Six goals, but yep, he deserved it. He deserved his dues. Clearly, we need to spend the bulk of this episode discussing that move. Now we've been we've been very persistent with calling for this. Well, at least I have. But we've been well, from very... what from lob to the wing to lob to full forward. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. This is a very important thing to discuss here. That is important, but not not quite as important as this one. This is one. I'm not sure whether whether the whether this is the podcast that's instigated the discussions, but it certainly contributed to it over <laughs> a period of months now, and we've been very patient but very understanding throughout the whole time. But yesterday we finally got to see it. We finally got to see Norton play in defence. I would say this is something that we've been pushing for months, if not over a year now. We finally hmm. got to see it. So I was very sure to keep a very close eye on him in the second half, and then I went back home after the game and I watched the second half again, just the second half, just to see exactly how he went and what I could pick apart from it. Now, as always, unfortunately, we've got to go through the qualifiers because there always are qualifiers to some degree. First, it's North Melbourne. We were second last on the ladder. Maybe not as bad as they've been in recent years, but still you know, not a side that we're going to yeah, necessarily need to worry about beating in September. Second, no, they're still, even despite the improvement, they're still the second worst team of 20, uh, what do we call What are we now? 2023. 23? I was yep, going to forget the year for a second. That's the year. The second one. 
totally unplanned. There was no preparation or um, planning for putting him down in defense. It came about as a result of not one, but two match-ending injuries to key defenders. And it meant that Norton and Norton was pretty much the only option we had left down back. So it was just him and Keith. Thirdly, he wasn't used quite as I would like him to be used, defensively speaking. He was, just given the fact we had so few options, he was sort of forced to play a role that I wouldn't necessarily want to see him being played in. And finally, and it goes without saying, I suppose, but it's still worth adding to the mix. It's the first time in five years he's played down back, which I think is, has to count for something when you play, when you, when you go so long without doing something and then suddenly, out of the blue, with no warning or preparation, as I say, the switch is made on a dime. So there's a few things that we've got to take away from that. And some some factor into the argument and some well, some will count for the argument and some won't, some of those qualifiers. But it's worth acknowledging all of that because it does it, it does it will shape people's judgments on that. If you don't mind, I'd like to get the ball rolling on this one before I, I get your thoughts on it. Given I I've probably been away. a bit more vocal on it. You've been a you've been a pretty adamant <laughs> cheerleader for this for oh Christ knows how long. Definitely more than me. I'm still picking my targets, I reckon, but uh, no, you're, you're full on the ball here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I really liked what I saw generally. It wasn't a perfect performance, I'll admit. There were a couple of moments where he got, I think he got outbodied by Coleman Jones at Senar forward reasonably easily. There was one awful kick that he, that he pulled off that I think cost us a goal. I thought defensively, though, he was very rarely beaten. And he looked very competent in a lot of aerial one-on-ones. I don't think he took an intercept mark, but that harks back to what I said earlier about him not quite being able to play the role that I would like him to play defensively. He didn't quite have that freedom to be able to go up and, and launch for the for the ball. And that was due to the fact that you know we had limited options. So the hand the hand was tied because we didn't have players that allowed him that sort of freedom. It was him and Keith, and there wasn't really anyone else that could help out. Hmm. I thought he worked really well to follow his opponent up the wing, whether it was up the wing or, or deep in the forward line. I thought he was able to nullify his opponents more often than not. He showed his agility to be able to get out of trouble a couple of times. I thought given the fact that there wasn't any preparation or planning, given the fact that he hasn't played down there in a long time, given the fact that he didn't have a lot of aerial support or tall support defensively, I thought it was a pretty reasonable showing in a, in a half of football. And you can take away, you know, you, you, you can use whatever, of the, as I said, those qualifiers, you can use whatever of those you want to, you know, support your argument for or, or against. I would, I would have thought that even most, even most people who were a fan of playing Norton in the forward line would have appreciated the opportunity just to see what all the fuss was about on, on Sunday. Because we've talked about it for a while, other people have talked about it for a while, and you know there are people for and against the idea. And I, I've always sort of said I understand where the people are coming from for those who support Norton Ford. But even them, I'm sure some of them would have wanted to go right. Well, like, finally, I get to sort of see why are they why are they making a big deal about this. We all get to have a bit of a look, and that's that's all we really wanted. I just wanted to have a look just to see what it could be. Firstly, and then we can sort of make judgments based off of that. I think there's a few extenuating factors that meant that, you know, it, we, we can't, it can't be conclusive, I think, based off what we saw in the second half. And there's a few reasons why I think it, you can't really make 
a definitive conclusion based off of that. But if I were to tell you, take Norton's performance, which was pretty reasonable, because this is sort of the, the counter-argument, and Lloyd Beveridge floated this in the post-match as well, that we've got options in, in terms of Josh Bruce, James O'Donnell, Ryan Gardner, all played in the VFL at the weekend. For those who think Norton's performance down back wasn't very convincing, I ask you to take what you saw against North Melbourne and compare it to the output that we got from Josh Bruce against Port Adelaide. Suddenly Norton's performance doesn't seem quite so bad, which I think is actually not something, not, not a conclusion or not a point that too many people have raised. And, you know, it's, it's, it's no disrespect towards Bruce. He's a great forward, but there was a reason that they took him out of the back line way back at the start of his career to begin with. I think there's something to work with based off the little preparation that Norton had. And it is only North Melbourne, but I say you can't really make a conclusion out of that, but a, a definitive inclusion. But I, I think you can still conclude that there's something to work with. I'd like to see this going forward. I've done a lot of talking now, Nick. I'll let you say your bit. Ah, that'll, no, that'll do nicely, though, Matt. It is interesting, too, because oh, this is going to definitely uh, make me... Not in my words in this context, but you mentioned before comparing the uh, the Bruce contest and Norton's contest, you know, against North and Port Adelaide respectively there. And Bruce was on Dixon and for large portions of the game yesterday, Norton did happen to feature on Callum Coleman-Jones and then rotating around on Nick Larkey, who Larkey is a genuine star of the star. competition. Yeah. yeah, he's a star. He's a proper star. And just, just to rub it in more, I think he's probably kicked... Uh, 40 goals more than Dixon ever has, I reckon, in his career. But yeah. um, I'll double-check that factually, but you know, he'll probably do it within <laughs> the next two years. So give that a chance. Um, no, I, I, I think the there are definitely a lot of merits to see with Norton down back, just as there are still a lot of positives to see him play forward. But it's ironic that the biggest positives of Norton forward, sorry, Norton going back, that is, was, was actually more so opening up the particular space to allow the other players to, you know, start to not take over, but to not have half a dozen blokes leaping at the same particular footy, which was which has been the case, whether it's been Norton or Bateman or Lobb or Jamara or whoever else it mm -hmm. might be at the time. It was refreshing to see that, that there did seem to be at least a bit more of a definitive idea about how they were going about their... Um, their business in that second half going forward. Now, I'm not saying, you know, dare, dare I mention the phrase, lower the eyes. I'm not using that. But it did seem to be there was obviously a lot more space. There was a lot more natural forward craft, okay? And I've been a fan of Norton as a forward in the sense that there's a lot of traits that he possesses that allow him to succeed as a forward. He's got speed. He's got great marking abilities. He chases, you know. He's got the aggression to be that marquee player. He yep. just doesn't have the natural forward craft. So he's done yep. very well. And that doesn't mean he can't succeed in it because he's, I think personally, regardless, even if he is to spend the rest of his career down back, I think he's actually succeeded as a forward because considering the limited forward now that he possesses, I think he's done an incredible job. No, I, now, I that think, doesn't mean... Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, there's another player... Like I, I, I sort of... This actually. Like I sort mm. of say, I say to you and I say to people who are Norton forward, like I get it, like... He's not bad forward. He kicked fifty-one goals last year. He kicked forty-seven the year before. You don't do that by yep. being. You don't do that if you can't play the role. But I just think there's more to gain from playing him down back. 
the other thing is, this is the other where thing as well with, this with the idea isn't it though with, the other thing is well with the bruce and norton comparisons bruce looked hopelessly out of his depth against port adelaide like he looked like a guy that was panicking i didn't see norton Do, look like he was panicking no 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 that's norton's got different levels of smarts and this is the key reason this is probably unfortunately for bruce in this context norton still has that mobility and athleticism that unfortunately has left bruce in the last couple of years which is a bit tricky considering you know the reason why he wanted to move down back which would to me ironically would hasten his uh you know his potential future in the game he would have been better off remaining as a forward where that mobility isn't probably as important i reckon but happy to be corrected i've got a name for you here matt um there was another footballer uh, that retired what two years ago i think it was um for a number of seasons uh, there was much talk about whether he would play forward or back, and he wasn't really ever settled uh, for, for at least the first half of his career. He then moved down back and became at least a two-time All-Australian, possibly maybe a uh, best and fairest, happy to be corrected. And it's not that he was a poor forward, but he was a under-18s AA calibre defender. I speak of one of our very own trade targets in the 2016 season, Michael Hurley. He had yep. won games as a forward for the Bombers, but yet never really looked the part of a forward. It seemed like every time that he would do well in that context as a forward kicking a few goals, that it would buy him more time to succeed as a forward. You know, sort of like a, like a batsman who has a... How to say a career-saving hundred to an extent, you know, that allows them to have that opportunity to, to lengthen their tenure. They might get four dots, like and then the case. they come out under pressure yeah, and they get hundred. Pretty much in that context, I'm not saying what can be career-saving in this sense for Norton or for Hurley at the time, but it was pretty evident to see, for at least Hurley, anyways, where he felt more comfortable because he never looked like the marquee forward. Now Norton does a lot of marquee forward, but he doesn't possess the forward craft, and neither did Hurley. Now, as a one-on-one defender, I'd probably think Norton's better than that, but he's got a better ability than Hurley, I reckon, there. Similar athleticism mm. and probably or definitely probably greater marking power there. So the question is, though, if Norton, just to put it bluntly in, in, in straight senses, if Norton is played forward, what is the position? It should be a centre-half forward yeah. if Norton is to be played down back. It should be, for me anyways, again, as the centre-half back. Yeah. That allows him to patrol that vicinity and, he, you know, he's not, not a, come off he, his mech. He's, yeah. he's not a deep option. No, I think he could I think probably a, succeed I think a, in that. I think a but deep I wouldn't option, like to see it happen often. No, I think a deep option needs to be a very good one-on-one contest player. And Norton's mm. not really a one-on-one type, not, either not forward or back. forward sense. No, not in a forward sense. We haven't seen enough of it technically to an extent as a one-on-one defender down back. Yeah. I, just, I do I just, recall he had succeeded against Buddy, you yeah. know, four or five years ago, and there's a couple of other games too, but we haven't seen a lot of it, you know, because no. it's easier to be that defend, that defender one-on-one where you just got to punch the ball effectively. Yeah, but that's not his strength. I'd rather market. see you brought up defenders from Geelong that can win the ball back. Yeah. Hello, Norton. That's, that's what Norton does better than anyone you've made some you made some great points about the forward combination we've talked a lot about it i mean 
you say, um, well, we've said it so many times this year, Norton gets in Jamara's way or Jamara gets in Norton's way and you know, Rob gets in Norton's way and Waitman. You end up getting a situation where two or three of them are flying for the same mark. And oh, the comparison four. and the comparison that you made is that when it was a forward line of Norton and Bruce, that didn't happen. No. You didn't see that happen Bruce, very often. No, Bruce was the full forward and he played as a true full forward. Yeah. And there was a proper understanding that, Norton would be that roaming and half forward type. Yeah. Then English would be the floater. And it worked yes. perfectly. Yeah. It's probably yeah. and it's not just forget not just the, the form that was displayed. It's probably the best our forward line at that time for that respective six or so weeks before English got concussed. <laughs> was probably the best our forward line had looked, um, arguably since uh, Stringer, Dixon, Redpath and Cramery. Oh. At the back end of 2015, board, board line. that was incredible. To be fair, and that just was on, incredible. To be fair. And just in addition to that, I asked you to get me some numbers, Nick, about forward fifty targets. Now I remember we went through this last year. We would say, oh, you know, probably at least half, if not more, of the targets going forward were just bombed or rushed or aimless, and then maybe Which a third is, of what was left I, went ironically, to ironically. Yeah. And then that's right. Go on. And then finally, it uh, you know, sorry, a third would go to Norton. Now, I asked you to get me yes. the targets inside 50 for the game against North Melbourne. Now, 15 of the – I don't have the total number here. I probably should have added that up. But anyway, let's go. That's right. Let's just roll with it. 15 was the leader, which I suppose is always going to be around the top top three. It's yeah. no target. To be honest, it's it's about the ab- It's roughly about the average. You're going to get about 40%, maybe 35% to, to no one, to an extent, because it's yeah. just more slamming the boot on. But the rest of it still has got to be in in proportion, and that's where you don't want to butcher it, of course. But here, so, here we, here we, we go got? from here. So 15, no target rushed. 13 times we went to Eugle Hagen. 13 times we went to Cody Waitman. Seven times we went that's to Lockett. good. Five times we went to, to Norton in, in the first half of, of footy, so probably extrapolate that over a game. It's probably about 10. Hannon we targeted four times, who, incidentally, I didn't think it was too bad. I thought he deserved a goal, Hannon. I thought he had an okay game. Um, Bontepelli we targeted twice. English we targeted twice. McRae, McNeil, and West we each targeted once. Now, a lot of people have made the observation that once Norton went down back, I wouldn't necessarily say we lowered the eyes – because I know that you're, I no, know that no. you're a big fan of that term, but we were more, <laughs> we were sort of more direct with who we went to, and we were a bit more. It's exa- exactly, there, there was it's a bit, exactly the word I would have used yeah. right there, right there. There was a bit more thought into who we actually targeted, and I suppose what benefits that is that we're actually targeting players with that forward craft that you allude to, Eugle Hagen and honouring the leads. Eugle Hagen and Waitman were targeted more than or were targeted more than anyone else, reasonably comfortably. And they're probably the two who who are going to well, who, they're definitely the two who you would expect they're going to be there for the next decade. And Alex Doherty made a sort of an interesting point. He sort of he he didn't I don't think I might have it wrong. I don't think he really committed one way or the other with Norton. I think he said based off of what we saw, it's not enough to convince him, but he probably need a summer with the defenders before we can decide that in terms of Norton playing mm. down back. But he did suggest when it was put to him, well, if Norton goes down back, then you know what's the what's the forward line look like? He made the suggestion that we build the forward line around Eugle Hagen, which, which I had thought of like before. And I really like that 
because Hugel Hagen is the man, I think. And like Norton is Norton is a Norton is a very competent forward, but I I think Hugel Hagen's ceiling is much higher. And we're really and this to... is where the natural forward craft comes yeah. from. Forget the goalkeeping. <laughs> well, forget that. For, forget a, that for now. There's a footballer in there. Yeah. No. There and there is there is a full forward in there. And if you can get if you can get Eugle Hagen and Waitman continuing to play games together, we know if Norton down back might give Rory Lobb more of an opportunity to to play in the forward line. If he's fit after the bye, you might even be tempted to to chuck Sam Darcy into the mix up there as well. I know the dogs. And we discussed we yeah, discussed the, that heavily last night too, didn't we? We did. And the dogs. Well, I know I don't know about the dogs, but I know Sam Darcy wants to be a forward in the long term. Yes. If you can get if you can get him and Norton and Waitman working on their forward chemistry now, I mean, you sort of you fast track that forward trio going, you know. Uh, in the future, as it were, people will sort of say, "But you know, you, you can't really do that now because we're playing. You know, because you know we're in the finals or we're contending for finals, challenging for top four and premierships and all that." I still think you can do both. I mean, the reason we played—I mean, if you're going to go by that logic, then why did we play Sam Darcy in a final last year? That's a very fair point. Ahead of Josh Bruce, who was dropped. Yeah. yeah. If that, that 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 argument falls flat when you consider that, that they had the option of going with an experienced goal kicker in Josh Bruce, or a kid who played three games in Sam Darcy. Two at the and, time. Oh, three. Yes. No, it was three at the time. Yeah. Jeez. And they and they and that's they amazing. Went, and they went with Darcy, who played three games, and well, spent the first half of the year on the sidelines. It's a huge season for me when you all things considered. And I know he's had a few injury worries, but I, I if if I wouldn't have an issue with. And I suppose there's all a bit of a mute argument, given that Beverage has said, "No, no, no, we're not going to, we're not going to do that." But I think Norton down back is a better option than anything running around in the VFL at the moment, because the thing is, because we've got because Beverage says we've got better options down in the back line. Yet at some stage this year, they've all been dropped, some on multiple occasions. Are they really better? Or they weren't even played as a defender. Or they weren't, even played, a, or they weren't but, even played I'll, as a defender. I'll bring, I'll bring this up here, just to get this is again. It's, Make the comparisons, but be realistic. 34 entries in the second half inside 50. Okay, first half was 38. So the first half we generated, at least in terms of scores, okay, I'm not talking, uh, sorry, I'm talking uh, yeah, registered scores, not scoring shots per se, which is a difference. 13 scores recorded from 38 entries. Second half was 17 registered scores from 34 entries. Now, that is bang on AFL average. Okay, that's These are the sort of numbers that you'll actually take. Literally, you're anywhere between, you know, anything above 45 to 55% is pretty much what you'd be hoping to be around when it comes to scores per inside 50. Okay? And, you know, obviously 17 over 34, it's just, you know, flat in the middle that's as you just, can get. Yeah. The interesting now, thing as well, that, that 17, that 10-7... That's our highest scoring half this year. Yes, I saw and, you brought that up earlier today. That, that's, we, that's the highest scoring half, first or second half, all season. And it just happened to be the one half in the entire year when Norton didn't play in the forward line. Now, it could be mm. a coincidence. One half is not a strong enough sample size, which is no. goes back to what I was sort of saying a bit earlier. I think we need to see Le- more of it. Mm. Leastways, not against North anyways. We had well, 20 marks inside 50. 
which was, I think, a season high, mm-hmm. uh, from what I recall. Pressure factors were right up. The season best, of course, for inside 50s with 72, which is, you know, regardless of the opposition, is a is a mean feat to achieve. You know, it's a lot of lot of control, a lot of territory gained right there. And I just wish we were able to get a bit more value for it. Like, I think my general rule of thumb is, you times the inside 50 count by one and three quarters, and that should generally be your score. So 1.75. Okay, so what we've got here, yeah, roughly, that's me anyway. Sometimes it depends on that context. You know, sometimes I've seen it like in 2020 when they, um, how did I say, when they manipulated the figures, I think, I think the numbers dropped down to uh, effectively like 1.5 scores well, per inside your... 50 overall, and that was a bit different. So I think I've got us sitting around what's, 72 times 1.75 is what? 126 is what we should have landed based on your formula. That's based on my formula. We might test that and and we might test that in a a few games between now and the the rest of the season. And just just one final thing, because we've got to talk about people other than Aaron Norton, because this is the Salty Bulldog, not the Aaron Norton podcast. 182 people answered a poll on the Salty Bulldog Twitter. What do we think about Norton's performance down back? Um, we had 182 votes, I say. 42% went still not sure. On this vote. You, you might, I only ran it for a couple of hours because we needed to record this. Oh. 42% said still not sure. 34% I like it, keep him there. And 24% said no good, back to full forward. So it's still, I think they might have been caught up with that particular turnover, I reckon. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe people still, I mean, there's no doubt people still value what he does as a forward and he does add a lot as a forward. I've, I've always said that. I've never, I've, I've never mm. dismissed what he adds to the table as a forward. No, I just think it's he can just, add a lot more. It's to just the ironic. Table. The con. Yeah. It's like I've mentioned to you over the years, you know, out of like 10, 10 scores, you know, there'll be seven positives and three negatives, but those negatives massively outweigh the positives yeah. in that yeah. context. No, no, you, you're right. But I think it sort of, I think it sort of says a lot about the Bulldogs fan base at the moment. They're, they're still undecided. There's not, like, I, I think, there's, yeah, there's not really a, a general consensus. I would have thought it's a 50-50 split between Dogs fans I know of and, and whether they're Norton forward or back. And I, I don't think that poll really changes that fact. Anyway, we, we, we move on, but we'll, we'll sort of keep, the, we'll, we'll keep continuing with the conversation of key defenders because we've got to replace two of them. Liam Jones out with a fractured radius. He could be out for a while. We might not see him until August is the report, which is a bitter blow, especially given how important he's been. And Tim O'Brien suffered a hamstring injury late in the first half, so he'll miss a few weeks as well. I didn't even, we didn't even notice that happened. It just... No, bang. yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> so I suppose now is those two have to be replaced. They, they won't be back ahead of the bye, or when we come back from the bye. So we've got a couple of weeks at least. But they're not going to be there for that game against Fremantle. So who do we go with? We've got Josh Bruce. We've got Ryan Gardner. We've got James O'Donnell all running around in the VFL. If Bevo is hmm. to be believed, two of them come in. It's a very interesting proposition too. Again, it probably comes down to matchups a lot of the time too because Fremantle have got... Well, not that, not that I don't think he's played this much this season. Tabernar, there's Jai Amos, Luke Jackson, and there's one other forward that I'm missing out on, actually. A tall forward, that is, I'm missing out on, I reckon. Oh, ah, yes, Josh Tracy, of course, the big the, kahuna. The big there kahuna. <laughs> yes, I was like, who am I forgetting? So they've got Look, a bit of that, down there. For I wonder. 
there, there is a lot of height down there, but it's not a lot of strength. I think the most dangerous forward is still, you know, Jai Amos, who's come on he, quite well, actually, this season, to be honest. He has. The Jackson forward, I think, depends largely on the availability of Sean Darcy. I'm not sure if he'll be back in time for that match. No, no, I don't think he is at the moment. And we've seen how Frio have gone in the last uh, two matches. Uh, Kieran Briggs and Toby Nankervis absolutely slaughtering uh, their direct opponent in the ruck jewels there. So that's making a making a mockery of that for Fremantle. So we've got, of course, to worry about them in a couple of weeks' time. And you know, we, played a, we played a very good brand of football against them, um, what was it, well over two months ago now or near enough. Probably our most complete We're performance pretty of the year, aside from maybe was, the Adelaide game. Yeah, it was probably the performance where we were maybe able to get more scoreboard dominance more reflection on the scoreboard, I reckon. That's probably the better term than we were able to in the Adelaide game. 33 but I think probably the Adelaide game was... Yes, which was pretty pretty good, to be honest. Uh, we'll see. We'll see yeah. how that goes. And we wanted to have the, the lobster tears out again. But uh, I wonder how that goes. Maybe Look, it would I, be... I was relatively content with yesterday also. Rel- relatively. Because I yeah. think the tricky part is you, people have got to now probably understand... And even Beveridge, I, I haven't listened to the press conference, uh, to be honest, but I supposedly heard a couple of nip, uh, snippets from people where they were saying that uh, Beveridge is sort of understanding, and even the team itself is understanding where they do sit in the grand scheme of things. And yeah, it does look like there's a clear-cut top four, and we're in that pack, of course. So it looks like we're somehow hovering, um, ironically, amongst, uh, say, a... 2010 mix, you know, where mm. we're one of the best of the rest, but still something, you know, a fair chasm away from the top shelf size. And unfortunately, you know, those particular matches in the last few weeks, namely Geelong and, you know, Port Adelaide there, were those opportunities to, to say whether we are a, a serious contender or not. And that doesn't mean, you know, the next nine rounds or 10 weeks doesn't provide us those opportunities, but it just says that we need a bit more credits in the bank before we start pumping up their tyres again. They've got to again regain that trust to show what sort of team they are and, you know, beating, you're doing what they had to do against North, which was um, after the first quarter, I think we would have t- happily taken that 21-point win. Yeah. And to be honest, it's a lot trickier now, at least this season, I reckon, for teams to go on with it. We've seen sides like us against the Giants, we've seen us against the Crows, we've seen a whole bunch of other teams as well um, across the competition where, you know, these 50... Oh, sorry, just going to bring up the cricket here. What a page of a delivery. Thank you, Pat Cummins. Sorry, guys. That was wonderful. That was an exquisite Yorker. Now, back to the footy. Um, I'm glad I missed I got it. my train of thought right there. <laughs> what the heck was I bringing... What was I bringing up, actually, Matt? I, I think you were talking... Well, you were talking about the fact that the dogs probably aren't quite among the, the very, very top contenders this season and that Beveridge has sort of acknowledged that in the in the past couple of weeks. So he, he said yes. he said he that has. against Port he Adelaide. He said that against Port Adelaide that they were they were they were rung below the mm. top teams. But you know, if we're if we're sort of discounting yeah. the three sides that I think are legitimate contenders, where mm. the best of the rest is is pretty accurate, yeah. I think, as you I, put it. It's a bit different to the twenty twenty season again, where we were supposedly one of the you know the best of the rest sides and never got it together. But when we came up against those, again, top four or five sides that respective season, we got blown out of the water, despite having a 
you know, a pretty relatively decent record at the back end uh, from, from the, the opening two rounds afterwards, okay? Mm. This year, that hasn't been the case. You know, what's our, our first two rounds were, an, you know, were a shocker and a half. Yeah. But since then, there's been a very, very, uh, how would I say, it wasn't a deflating loss to Port the first time. It was a very um, courageous defeat, I reckon, in that sense, where we were well and truly um, earned the right to have pinched that game. The Suns won oh, after the context of their match yes, uh, on, on the Sunday against the Blues. Well, that looks pretty bad, but yeah. the Suns are a different team of the MCG than they are in comparison to the uh, to the Northern Territory as well as uh, Metricon Stadium. So just unfortunately couldn't get the job done. I think probably the worst loss we've had this season is either the... Do you reckon it's either the Cats game or the Saints match? Which uh, is more disappointing? Which this, one's worse? The Geelong one was more disappointing because it yes. was there for the taking. The St Kilda one was the worst performance mm-hmm. of the season. But the yes, Geelong one was the most disappointing loss. Would it infuriate you if we were to go off the expected scores ladder? We'd be sitting third with a 10-4 the- and four record. Yeah. Percentage is still only about 107. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, because you'd rather be yeah. in the in the top four. And, yeah. I mean, but been... would it be a legitimate – would we be a legitimate top four side? I don't think so. Even if we were to be, I think we'd be a – No. I, I think there's only top one – four team at this point. I think there's only one game that we've lost this year that I would say, oh, uh, you know what? We probably could have des- – we probably could lay claims to a deserving win, and it's the first yes. game against Port Adelaide. Indeed, I don't that's, think, I don't that's think the we only can... one. I don't think we can one. walk away from any other defeat and say, "Oh, gee, we were unlucky. We deserve to win that one." We were, no. we were the. I mean, you could make a case for the Suns one, maybe that we deserve to win. But that we should win. never have put ourselves into that position. Yeah. yeah, the Geelong one we didn't deserve to win. We didn't deserve to win the second Port Adelaide match, and oh goodness, we didn't even deserve to be beating VFL uh, teams in the first fortnight of the season. So yeah, there's probably only one win that that I'd go, yeah. We, yeah, we, we we were unlucky. We were unlucky. We we which was very different to the the 2019 season. Well, we actually showed a fair bit, I reckon, and we didn't deserve to cop it in the end for some of those respective games. Yeah, but, again, that's, that's how the cookie crumbles. But, but by the same so, by the same hand, I don't think there have been many games where we've won and I've gone, oh, gee, we got away with that one. No, no, no. We've earned we've earned our wins, and maybe not deserved them to an extent, but you know, you didn't look like. Maybe for the first quarter yesterday, but after after the, uh, the first term, we were the better side, and we the better much side was the case again. Same thing too against Brisbane, mm. against Richmond, yep. against Fremantle, yep. those Hawthorne, Adelaide, yeah. Carlton, and North Melbourne. As you say, yeah, all those yeah. wins we were the, we were reckon, the better side. Yeah, but I reckon we're only one win short. I think I think we're probably one win short from where I would have loved us to be. If we were at yeah. nine and five, I would have. If that was offered to me at the start of this year. This is forgetting and putting aside how teams would play or you know fixtures and whatnot. I think most fans would pretty much take a nine and five record at this at that stage. This is with how you know footy works. It gives you in a great position to say you only need three more games effectively to win finals, and that's another thing we can probably talk about too. Hmm. We've still got to make it, but at least mathematically, uh, but the general rule of thumb, twelve wins does get you there. Now whether that's the case uh, this particular season. <laughs> Maybe not, but at least in the in the coming weeks, you know, Fremantle game is an important match. We've got the who else? Said? There's a couple of teams playing off against each other too. Well, the Saints and the Lions this respective week too, yeah. and the Cats and the D's, which 
ironically, you know, it depends what you're after. Do you want to see the top sides above us loose to give us a chance for the four, or do you want to see us having a, a bit of a, a gap wide and up between us and the and the rest of the pack? I've got a question for you. A closest to the pin one, because I was going through this and, uh, and observing this. You know how many, have a guess, how many times do you reckon we bounced the ball yesterday? Oh, jeez, I, I didn't even bother to take note of that, to be honest. Uh, we generally uh, don't. We, the ball? we generally <laughs> don't. But see if, if you can have a guess, because I've found this really interesting. All right. Okay, is this, uh, I'll just have a quick one. Is it our season best? Probably not. Okay, so I'm going to have a guess and say, let's go with, okay, this is definitely season best. Let's go with uh, six running bounces. Am I even close? Uh, Close-ish. Zero. All right, well, let's... We didn't bounce oh, the ball well, once quite... yesterday. Nice. Isn't that a really weird statistic? How often would that happen in a, a game of footy? Particularly It is pretty miscellaneous. Like, if it's bucketing down... Especially when you have a couple... If it's bucketing yes. down at Adelaide Oval like it was earlier in the year, fair enough. But under the roof at Marvel, you would have thought someone would have bounced it once... No. Well, there was a bit more corridor play too yesterday, so the opportunities were there for both or for our, for our team anyhow. It's just it's different that there probably wasn't the personnel to put off that, to play that particular brand of football. It's the Johannesson effect. And the press read for Ed. For what it's worth, the only other two – we've actually – it's actually the third time this year we haven't bounced the footy in a, in a game. One of those times was against Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval and Gather Round. The other time yeah, was <laughs> yeah. The other time was against Adelaide in Ballarat. So both of those times they Which make didn't sense. Make sense. <laughs> that was pristine conditions. I thought though. Oh, well, no, that was no, wonderful. In Ballarat, can't tell if yeah, of course. sarcastic or not. Ah, uh, which well, should be fair. No, what was it? We when we went to Port, uh, we went to Adelaide. That was apparently the the coldest it's ever been, hasn't it? How colder than Ballarat in 2018. Nothing's as cold as Ballarat 2018, I'll tell you. I'm, Nothing I'm, is. I'm hesitant to, to go too far along with this discussion, perhaps further, or perhaps as far as, as we've done so off-air. What have you made of Bailey Smith's season? Didn't have a great game. He had 19 sure. disposals. I think he had gained minus 22 metres. And for him who loves to run and, and bounce and kick it long, that's a real surprise. And there was footage of him running laps Around the ground post game, I know he's had a he had a bit of a delayed start to the season. I think or delayed start to preseason. Certainly, he played round one. He had a he had a calf injury which he picked up in the the Richmond game, and had to run out the match because we had no one left on the bench. I think it was. Yeah. And it's a very gutsy performance. That one yeah. hasn't really hit the heights that that he had in the first half of last season. Like his first half to last year was all Australian worthy. This year he had one great game against Adelaide down in Ballarat, but since then he sort of like he's picked up enough of the footy, but he hasn't really been that damaging. No, it's a different style of play too for him, I reckon, because it was only the four kicks I think yesterday for yep. him, fifteen handballs, which is not his game, which is no. not the way that he would prefer to play his football, and I think the additional running post match. Maybe wasn't more for the the negative meters gained. I don't think that's a statistic that is important. No, no, I, to, I don't think that's, no, 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 it's, it's, it's just, got some significance, but I reckon it. it's more. I reckon it's more to get Smith to have focused more on his uh, def- defensive running 
you know we know it's, that doesn't mean you know don't play him because you know people used to criticize um adam cooney for for not doing the defensive running okay sorry yeah for not doing defensive running but it seems like the you know the offensive running is is a severely forgotten about art in that sense now that doesn't mean you, you don't bother with doing the defensive running in that aspect but you know if we haven't got many you know attacking minded players you have to respect that ability there that doesn't mean just running but it's it's the idea of knowing when to go which he does i don't think though it has yet got through to smith the idea of knowing when to go down back and when you're amongst players like Jackson McRae and well, last year and the previous years and Lockie Hunter and, and and Josh Dunkley as well as the Bonds, of course. It's a lot of defensive-minded players there. So I'm hoping some of that actually still brushes off on Smith because it is a little bit annoying to say that that doesn't happen. But it seems like arguably those groups of players probably could take lessons from each other. Some probably need to add a bit more offensive uh mindset that smith does possess and smith obviously needs to take take a you know a note or two from from the other footballers that are there so to, you, to make that balance i think trelaw's probably got the best balance i reckon across yeah. our team i think i've loved his season trelaw just with the bailey smith running though so are you, are you suggesting that that's post-match that's a club initiative or an, or an individual initiative because i remember when he's draft year there was a story about how he had a poor game with xavier i think it might have been and inflicted on himself a, a form of self-punishment in the post-match just by running laps. So do, do you think that's a, that's a directive from the club or do you think Smith's imposed that on himself? I probably think it's a club thing at this point in time, possibly. Okay. No, I just I just thought it was interesting. No, because no, it's not no, the, now, no knowledge yet. It's just, just opinion. It's not, it's, not the just first, opinion. it's not the first time that we've seen that this season. Um, is is all just saying? Were there, were there any performances like outside of the obvious? Like we've talked a, a bit about Waitman. Um, we haven't even really talked about Bontempelli yet, but I mean, you know, we've we've run out of superlatives, so I think we've just got to stop talking about him now, unless it's something that we don't come to expect from fourteen score involvements. My goodness, a any, set shot goal, a set shot goal. Oh yeah, we had it all. Anyone else's performance before we get to the questions that stood out for you yesterday? You went, oh. No, it was, it was good to see him, or he had a he had a good game, or even a good moment. Well, there's a player that we've both got in mind, I reckon, here. And we just wish the rewards would, you know, start to arrive and be more reflective of the games that are being produced here. And I think you know where I'm going with this one, Matt. I, I think I know now. We, yes, indeed. We want to see Jamara start getting those particular goals that he does deserve, because he's actually yeah. putting together a very, very fine season. And something that I reckon is actually quite befitting of the, the number one draft pick tag, if only the shots were converted. That's, that's, I don't know what has happened to him, but I, he's I had you, the, the positives in the sense. He's taken the shots and he's probably had close to, what has he had? Probably had close to 60 now in 14 games. Now, four shots a game on average is, whether they make the distance or recorded or whatnot, that's very, very promising. He's had 50. He's had 50 he's shots. 50, this, he? Shots at goal this year. He's had 50 shots. That's above average. Mm-hmm. He's averaged 1.1 mm-hmm. goals per game, which is below average. And he's averaging 1.6 behinds a game, which is elite. Yes, he's going at 31%. 31%, which is the The key forward curse has struck again for the Dogs, Nick, unless he can figure out the goal kicking. But I agree, the performances outside of that, are very good, and the difference between him and Norton 
Firstly, Norton, we know, can place an halfback. Secondly, Hagen has the forward craft that we've alluded to. I, I love we the way... We just wish it would convert yeah, from the goals, but he's got the craft. It's all... It's Everything else is there. I love the way he, he launches at the footy. And, and if... And I, if the dogs want to commit to building the forward line around Jamara as opposed to Norton, I'm on board. I'm on board. I, 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 I love the way he's played this season. And we've not quite seen the spike yet. We thought it might have been against the Lions. Maybe it was a bit premature. But I think there's been a gradual rise and that this this big Only game... Only in a goal sense. There's yeah. no spike. Yeah, Everything this... else is ticking in the right direction. But we remember Norton's game against the Tigers. Back in 2019, that was the one. Yeah, if you want to pinpoint a moment when Norton became a forward, that was the night. We're still waiting on that game from Jamara, but it's building. It might take a while, but it's it is it is building. We're not seeing a guy that's. I reckon. Getting, what's he kicked this year? Fifteen or sixteen? Uh, I'll have to. He will have kicked. He's kicked sixteen. Okay, I think he's probably he's been a lot better than that. I reckon he's probably arguably really should have close to thirty. Yeah, I yeah, think he's I... deserved to get near. He's minimum twenty-five. He's had a fine season. He should probably seriously. If Norton, well, Norton's obviously going to go down back and float around, um, the goal kicking award. If he gets it, sorry, it's there for the taking for Jamar yeah. for us this season. Sixteen twenty-two from fourteen games. Yeah, sixteen twenty-two, and, and then add another, then add another fifteen no scores on top of that. That's he did he's have... getting the shots, and that's the thing. He did have four goal assists. Yesterday, though. yes, he did indeed. Another seven marks too. So he's on what now? Sixty from thirteen or something this year. Sixty-seven. Thank you. 14. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really like, yeah, that big bag he had against Brisbane, that was one, but that's not the that's not the pennies dropped one in terms of in terms no, of goalkeeping. No, not at all. But I, I hope he figures it out because I don't want to be. And we'll flag this now. I don't want to be in a situation in two years' time where we're still saying, "Oh, he's playing really well," but. Still, we're still waiting for that goal kicking to sort itself out. That's got to be nipped in the bud soon, I think, before it becomes a habit. I do think he's got a different ball drop this year. Okay, doesn't look as traditional as, as it has been in the past. Mm. I think he's lowering his fingers a bit too much on the ball this time around, and it's not dropping correctly because it doesn't allow for the ball to uh, directly drop onto the foot. It seems a bit more like, like slanted, I reckon, and that's why the ball always keeps, you know, coming across the face or whatever well, it is. Sixteen so, twenty-two yeah. this year, eighteen sixteen last year, seven goals, two in his first season. I don't know how much you want to read into that first year, but because it was only a handful of games. The one I I loved, and he's had a great season. And if it weren't for injury, he'd be comfortably in the top three in the club's best and fairest. Adam Trelaw. Yes, we, he deserves a lot of praise this season. Yeah, I, I just I love the way he plays his footy. He is he is one of my favourites. We don't talk about him a lot. We probably should talk about him more. I mean, We're very happy of, to have you, Adam. Very uh, happy to have I you. I mean, ahead of Bont and, and Liberatore and, and English, who have ball, had stellar seasons, and McRae, who's had a little bit of a down year, but it's just been a, a consistent ball magnet for years now. Uh, Trelaw, we just, yeah. I mean, he's the one you don't really worry about, Trelaw, because aside from the injuries, there's no need to worry about his performances. He just plays well. He doesn't have bad games. Very professional footballer. Yeah. I do love the way he goes about it. I just wanted to... Still another couple of years of his contract, and I know he's probably going to obviously want to be remembered as a as a magpie, but I hope he goes down uh, for us as a, as a, as a well-remembered bulldog. 
He's only oh. been with us for you know two and a half seasons. I hope he goes down as a very well remembered uh, Western Bulldog. I, I think he will. I think he will. But there's still a couple of years to play, and hopefully we can get him that flag that he wants in that time. Let's head to the questions, Nick, because we've got to got to get those. Uh, Mitch Wind has the new ball. Oddly enough, it's that time of year. Well, it's that time of Ashes series at least. He's got a couple of questions. How do you see our run home? So in terms of the run home, Dockers at Marvel, Pies, Swans away, the Bombers here, the Giants at Ballarat, the Tigers here, Hawks in Tassie, Eagles here, and Cats away. Now, Mitch has tipped seven of two. Oh, he's so, no, sorry. He's tipped four that we really should win. Dockers, Swans, Hawks, Eagles. He's tipped two that will lose the Pies and the Cats. Bombers, Giants, and Tigers are, are all 50-50 games. We're on eight wins at the moment. If top four is the goal, which it should be, you probably need to win at least seven more, I would think. Maybe seven with a good percentage, maybe maybe eight. But let's just say let's just say seven for now. So that means that we can afford to drop two yeah, games. Because other teams, between... other teams can other teams can lose games too. Yep, yep. Of course, which helps us out. Probably got to up the percentage a little bit. But if we say we go seven and two from here, the two that we drop, I would expect, will be the pies and the cats. Will probably go in as underdogs in those games. I would anticipate that we're at least slight favourite in. All of the others. Essendon at Marvel is the one that worries me. Richmond at the at uh, at Marvel doesn't. They generally struggle at the G, even though they've they've actually rebounded pretty well under McWalter. The Giants at Ballarat, I, I think we should have taken care of. Hawthorne and Tassie is the only other one. So there's there's two games that I've, so there's four games I've got there that I'm a little worried about. All the others I think we should win. Yeah, pretty pretty consistent approach I reckon there, Matt. In that sense, too. I mean, there are games that we would hope to win. There are games that we expect to win. There are games that we will have some difficulties in. And, geez, uh, I will be pretty annoyed if we do find ourselves in a bit of trouble against the Swans. It's not that they've been a poor side this year, but they're a team where other sides have been able to get the job done. And I'd expect, I would be disappointed if we um, weren't able to do so against them. Wins Wins on the road are hard, though. Regardless of where they are, where they are on the ladder, and the Swans have struggled a bit this year, and maybe they'll get a few back by then as well, which is always worth considering. Hopefully, they could, we will. Hopefully, they could, they could, they could be a bit stronger on paper by that stage. But wins on the road are hard. But I, I do agree that we we should be beating them. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a poor loss, I think. Yeah, considering the where both sides are, you know, not just positioned on the ladder, but with the with the mindsets of the groups at this point in time, where one season is to an extent, relatively cooked. And ours is, I don't know, ours is simmering, but it's not yet at a boil and it's going to be one way or the other where, you know, the pot's going to go flying or the lid's just going to simply come off. Who knows what's going to happen to us. It's something where we'll have to see what happens, of course. You know, no doubt trying to to beat the Dockers is an important important fixture uh, in the context of this season because it is a classic eight-point game. You know, helps us create a bit of a gap uh, between us and the rest of the pack. But the tricky part is making that top four. And the games like the Magpies and the Tigers, you know, these are the games that if we want to try to at least get up that echelon on the ladder, they're the games that we need to win. And there are a couple of spots arguably still up for grabs. And that would probably be trying to snare Brisbane's or, you know, coincidentally, even the D's uh, position in the top four. They're, they're the ones that are are up for grabs. It's going to be very hard-pressed to chase down the uh, 
to chase down Port and Collingwood as well. The other one that Mitch asks, with Jones and O'Brien set to miss weeks, and we've discussed this a little bit already, do you think it's time to explore our defensive options a bit more widely? And he's not uh, gone that vaguely. He's got a bit of an example here. We know, we all know that we'll go back to the well of Gardner and Bruce, but would you rather see a Cleary Buzzlinger try out, even if it's only a one-off? Yeah, so they'd be very, very tempting and tasty there, actually, to be honest. We know what the other guys can do. And it's not that I, it's not that I um, haven't thought about this with, o, with O'Donnell, too. I reckon I would be very tempted to see him play purely down back. And uh, we got to see it a little bit against Pawson. and I thought he was okay that, that game. I'd prefer to have an opportunity for O'Donnell, I reckon, um, over Gardner in this context, I think, especially if you're going to, if Norton is to, say, remain down back. I, I think it if you on the roles being used. As a youngster, I mean, maybe I mean there are very few swingmen in the in the game, but I think particularly as a youngster, you, you've got to just plant the flag somewhere. And I think what O'Donnell was a victim of was just sort of being used a little bit all over the place, so he couldn't really. When settle. he wasn't uh, meant to be a forward, yeah, he was sort of playing um, as a forward, he was playing down back, he was, he was sort of just he was just sort of being used a bit all over the place. It's hard to get continuity at the best of times in this game, but particularly when you're a kid, you've not been in the system very long at all. You've played three games of VFL. You within you know within thirty nine days, you've gone from being picked up to playing on you know in in front of you know thirty forty thousand at Marvel Stadium. They just needed to just 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 make a call whether they want to play him forward, whether they want to play him back. They just needed to pick a spot, and they hadn't really committed to one. And I think that, that he suffered as a result. I think if he was like a third tall defender, and they just sort of kept him in that sort of role, I'd be all right with that. Let's just see what he can do. But you've, you've just got to keep it simple for the kid. Don't try and overcomplicate things by getting him to you know, play three different roles in the, in the one match. For what it's worth, just going through the um, results for Footscray, who got a, who got a win against Williamstown um, uh, down at, uh, at Williamstown, which is it's always, a, it's always one you've got to grind out a win down there. Five goals, 11-12 to 6-12. Not all good news, though, for the Bulldogs. Hayden Crozier... Picked up a hamstring injury, we believe. I think you found out that Harvey Gallagher injured himself as well. His finger. His finger, that's great. Uh, Rourke Smith is another one who picked up an injury as yeah, well. Plant, that, what yeah, is it, plantar fascia, fascia or whatever the yeah. heck it is? He's Thank having you, a fascia. shocking run at it. Uh, but just some of the names that some of the names that did stand out. Uh, Joel Garner, not that he's eligible for a call-up this week because he's not on the list. 37 disposals, good performance from him. Sullivan continues to find a lot of the footy. He had 27. Kayla Poulter picked up 19 disposals, kicked a couple of points. Josh Bruce, uh, 15 disposals and five marks. Karmas kicked two goals, one. Sweet, 53 hitouts. O'Donnell had 12 disposals and six marks. Cleary had 10 disposals and five tackles. Bussliger only had the eight touches. Charlie Clark kicked one goal from his eight disposals. And whoever C. Smith is, I don't think it's Clay. He kicked two goals, though. So that was pretty handy. So they're just sort of some of the names VFL. And Cody Rock is another one who, who we've neglected to, to mention. Yeah, he kicked forward. three, didn't he? He did kick three goals from, from nine disposals. It's probably one of one of his better games for, for Footscray. So it was nice to see a, it was nice to see him do well. I think he's still a fair way off uh, an AFL debut and out of contract this year. So he might be in a bit of strife, but it was a good performance from him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. No, no real outstanding performance just based off of that. And I watched a bit of the game, and Williamstown only kicked six goals, twelve, I suppose. But 
I mean, if I, if I said that, if I, I did say earlier that if Sam Darcy's fit, I'd be tempted to put him straight in. So I'll remain consistent in that. So I wouldn't have an issue with seeing Buzzlinger and or Cleary. Maybe not both. Maybe both is a bit too much. But I'd drop one of them in, certainly. I can't believe Cleary hasn't been given a game this season. I really can't. Like, it's around 14 I think, now. I think a lot of us can't at this point in time. Again, the particular role, because it depends what we want to see in play. I tell you, if, oh, geez, no, I'm not going to say it, actually, because it's just going to be a, uh, like a jinx stuff. Well, that. I think but, they've got no, to look, get... It would be I nice, think, to, it would be nice get, to see Cleary actually provided that opportunity. I think they've got I to get I wouldn't mind him on a wing, now. to be honest. I think they've got to get I think he'd be good on I, a wing. I can't... You can't keep going to Bruce and, and Gardner when you've already. I mean, you started Gardner, the start of the year with Gardner out. So they brought him in, they dropped him, they brought him back, they dropped him. They're, they're going to bring him back again. Uh, they've only dropped Bruce once this year, but I've never been. Uh, he's shown slight improvement at times during the year, but I've never been fully on board with the idea. Uh, and I mean, just given the fact that we've we've conceded, you know, some of the, some of the scores that we have over the course of the of the season, we've let some players off the chain in the manner that we have, I think it's time to look somewhere else. And buzzing is a first-round draft pick, and clearly he didn't do a lot wrong when he played last year. Why not give them a go? We have very interesting selection methods. Now, that doesn't mean it's, you know, it's not like a um, you know, pin the tail on the donkey type, type stuff. It's, But it is, uh, it is probably a lot more strategic than I give thought to, but it still doesn't make sense a lot of the time too, doesn't it? No, we would be very tempted to see Cleary, and I, I, I would actually, I would I said before, I'd actually be very happy to see him lined up on a wing. He would deliver the ball quite well inside fifty for our forwards. He's a very neat footballer. Yes, remember he his is. first, remember yes, his first game. He just got the ball. He, he got he got the ball from Bontepelli on the half back flank and just took a step and just delivered. We felt very happy. He's down the line. It was sort of like, yeah, no, this this guy knows what he's doing. This guy's all right. They didn't look like. He didn't look like someone. He didn't look was, out of place. No, he didn't look like he was out of place. He didn't look like he was panicking. He looked like a player who was in complete control of the situation, which from a team is, is a particularly impressive trait. But you're probably not going to see him and Buslinger, and I, I doubt they'd be committed to going to Buslinger now. I think, I mean, given that you know he was still recovering from shoulder surgery when we drafted him last year, key position players take time generally. I think just getting him fit, getting him playing games of footy and the, getting him sort of acclimatised to the VFL is great. I think anything more is a bonus for, for Buzzing. If he, gets a, if he gets a senior call up at East stage, I think that's fantastic. But it's very much a bonus. I don't think it's an expectation or any sort of target. I think just getting him, just getting him to play some form of footy was the aim, and he's done that. And... And I think if we just just continue to do that and just acclimatise a bit more to, to the rigours of, you know, uh, of state league footy and the opportunities will come. I'm not, I'm not, I don't think any of us should really be worried about Barcelona at this point, but I just don't think they'll go with him yet. I think Cleary is a more likely candidate if they had to pick. Mm. Pretty excited to see what happens, though, of course. We've still got a lot to, a lot to take on for this particular uh, portion of the season here. And opportunities galore, and I am excited to see how we go about this next stage of the season. There are there's a, there's a lot of other questions here, but most of them we've sort of answered. Like a couple of questions about Norton, uh, a couple of questions as well about the defensive sort of setup. I mean, we've still got Johannesson and Richards out as well, and they're still a little while away. Um, one here from Dipper, oh, sorry, Dippy Terry. 
Are we using our sub wisely? If we lose a key forward or defender, we're generally stuck with an average size utility who doesn't kick goals and can't defend. Do we need more of an impact player? Sub role, sub role is really tricky because you sort of need someone, you, you need a jack of all trades type player because you need someone who can sort of cover a couple of different areas on the ground all right because you don't really know if you're going to have an incident like you did on the weekend where you lose your full back in the first three minutes of the game. So you're not really going to put a key position player in there either because you're not you're not anticipating that you're going to lose one of those in the, in the game due to injury. But you need someone who can sort of play a couple of different roles. So it's, it's hard to pick a specialist player, and impact players don't grow on trees. But who would be our impact player? And, and I suspect whatever answer you give me is going to be far too talented a player to be the sub. I don't know, it's a very good question because you're right, it's got to be a very specific type role. It's not like we can just say, let's call on a 33, 34 year old John Syracuse. Yeah. Like that, that's an impact player. That, yeah, it's very anymore. fitting that JJ could have actually done it, but now he seems to have rediscovered that spark. Yes. That, that, that's that's, so actually, that's not actually a good candidate. It's a good candidate. Yes, but, but not anymore. <laughs> so, no. So it's, it's really tricky because the best fit is arguably McNeil. Is still probably arguing McNeil, despite not being in a. Ah. If he was to play a whole game, he'll do the same thing that he could do within an equivalent of a quarter of being the sub. And Artie Jones is too. Artie Jones has talented, the potential I reckon, to still be that. Yeah, he, he could be potential to, to do it, and uh, I don't know what happens with him now because he, he didn't touch the footy against Brisbane, and he only had five touches and didn't hit the scoreboard against Williamstown. So I, I don't well. I don't think that's enough to get him straight back in, even though winning a lot of the footy isn't what his job in the side is. But I don't think he had enough of an impact to, to get back into the side. Arnie Jones is probably a good impact player. And it might be, and you, you were suggesting to me after the game, Nick, that he might just be burnt out. Well, maybe if we keep I think he's a little bit tight. <laughs> if, if we keep him to, to playing a quarter or a quarter and a half going forward for the next few weeks, that might help as well with that as well. It's probably a good way to get him through the season too. You know, I think we've got to remember as well for, for Jones that it's his second season with us. Or was it his third? Yeah, no, this is his second this, season with us. This is his second season now. Yeah, so I think he's already we've already got a fair bit out of him, to be honest, too, for, for a kid in that sense. So it's been productive regardless whether he plays another game or not this year. I think it's already a positive uh, for him, I, I reckon. Yeah. No, I agree. I've been been pretty happy with how he's gone about it this season. Just checking to see if there's uh, any other questions left. There's always one or two that I've uh, that I that I have missed out on. Um, you didn't have a question for me, did you, Nick? No, no, we're we're moving along nicely here, Matt. What about this one then? It's one from Dan, who's back back home still, I think. Uh, there are questions about our backline, but defensive transition is our biggest issue. And that's our mids letting opponents through too easily. What would you do to fix that? Is it just a matter of the mids putting in two-way efforts? Or is there a tactical slash personnel element? Look. It's a very good, it's a genuinely good question. It's a question that, that we can't answer, let alone the, I think the coaches at this point in time, to be honest. Well, it's, it's a very, very tricky question. So it's only come up. I wonder. It's only come up since the start of last year. So when you say... I don't think so. I don't think it's a 
necessarily a midfield problem of the personnel because the personnel hasn't really changed in terms of an on-field sense. The personnel hasn't really changed a lot in that time. What I will say, and I don't know whether this is whether it's just a coincidence, but it has. There's no doubt that this issue has arisen at the same time that the midfield coaches changed. Now that's not necessarily laying blame, but that's just a fact. We were the best at preventing defensive transition in 2021. We were first in the league when Stephen King was our midfield coach. He was Stephen King. He left at the end of 2021, replaced by Mark Webb. Since then, we've gone to the second worst. That's a dramatic shift. No, but ironically, I think we're now one of the best teams at not conceding goals via stoppages, which had hindered us in the past. So it's, it's a bit of a give and take situation here. I don't know how the hell it happens to work, but can we get King and uh, Webb to work together? <laughs> yes, yeah, so that'll be all right. We just, just, just simple as this: bring back a Joel Corey. <laughs> just, well, that 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 oh. would work as that would work as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Look, it's a, it's a really difficult one to to answer. But I mean, we go back to it. They said they spent eighty percent of the summer working on this, Nick. Now, if that's true, and we've got no reason to believe it isn't true, they're, they're learning it the wrong way, or they're doing the wrong things to focus on. I told, I've said to you, you can't sit there studying for your math test, practicing your times tables, and keep telling yourself five times five is twenty. I mean, sure, you're spending time working on your times tables, but that's not the right answer. I think. Yes, I'm, I'm glad. I'm, <laughs> indeed, I'm glad you kept going on with that. I was thinking, like, uh, I remember last time I think I interrupted you and in that saying, "What's going on here, Matt? On, Matt you know, Where are you going with this?" That's, that's not right. But that's the point. It isn't right. No, the uh, method. I think if, the method I think, is important. I think if you spend that much time focusing on on something like defensive transition and and you know kicking the ball inside fifty, which was you know they were sort of the two things that they sent they they said they spent the combined eighty percent of the summer on, and we're not seeing the results for that. Well, like they're going about trying to fix it the wrong way, clearly. Because if they had the right method in place, these issues would be improved. Hmm. And they haven't really. I mean, another seventy. Not for a number of years, too. Seventy-two inside fifties was a club record, I, I believe. Someone told me. I'm not sure if that's true. But we and only thirty out of it. registered scores. Yeah, I mean, if they kick another half a dozen, if they kick a bit straighter, that might have helped. There were four rushed. But that does help too. That, that yeah. sort of ticks the numbers a little and, bit. In that and context. I always and look, you could but, say whatever you want about the coaching. I've always said the coaches never tell the players to miss for goal. That's on the players, not the. No, coaches. I just, so I just this, don't know why we don't get the value. I always feel like we're we're always under what we should be at least getting in terms of scoring wise. I always feel like we're at least five or six shots less than we really should be. You know, add those numbers up there so make it uh, thirty six registered scores. Which would then add another, you know, four or five shots that say don't make the distance. That's forty out of seventy-two, and you know, if, if you want to push it to, you know, forty-two out of seventy-two, and that's you know, seven over twelve, which is like fifty, fifty-seven, fifty-eight percent right there, and that's above AFL average, pretty, pretty easily too. Yeah, yeah, it's about fifty-eight percent. Yeah, hmm. it is an interesting one. Well, hopefully, they can figure it out over the buy which we've got this week. So 
You know, we don't we don't have to we don't have to put up with conceding goals out the back and missing set shots. We get a week off from that, everybody. <laughs> yes, we we can't lose this week, everyone. Can't, can't win, lose. but we can't lose at least. So positives. So you've requested the week off, so there'll be no episode next week. Oh, we will have to see. I think we need to debate oh. what we might do here, Matt. We could do mm-hmm. something, but we will have to see. Okay. Well, for anyone, we who's... Let, uh, I think we'll let the fans decide. I reckon perhaps if they want something. Well, for anyone who's got to the, to this point of the episode and is still listening. Obviously, uh, you can put forward your suggestions as to what we should do, whether you want a break from us or whether you want us to, to congregate again and we'll do something next week. That's up for you to decide. Of course, that's all on the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's our website as well, www.saltybullog.wixsite.com forward slash home. There's our YouTube channel if you want to check out Salty Bullog TV throughout the year. I, I, the episodes would be out a lot sooner if I could figure out how to transfer videos from phone to laptop, but that's another debate altogether. That's, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's another battle within a battle. Uh, but uh, until then, whether it's next week or the week after, uh, it's been great having you along for the ride. Nick, thank you for joining us again. Always a pleasure to have you on board. Marvellous stuff, Matt. We're... Now, what are we? We're eight and six. Still lots to go in this particular season. It's a very, very interesting to see how we go about it. And, of course, the Salty Bulldog podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and all your other good podcast podcast outlets. Be sure to check it out. To everyone who's been tuning in around the world, thank you for joining us. It's great to have your company. Enjoy the bye. We look forward to seeing you again next week or in a fortnight's time. But until then, take care.